Hi, welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the average bloke and their hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You'll listen to episode 89. G'day, guys. Welcome to the show. I uh, really appreciate you coming back. Um, okay, I'll, I'll drop. I'll drop the uh, Australian accent. I, did you? Was it good? Was it halfway decent? I tell you what. I like trying to do impressions. Like I've always enjoyed that from a young age. I remember trying to do like a Popeye impression whenever my parents were having a card party and they put in an old Popeye VHS that tells you how old I am. Um, but <laughs> I love trying to do impressions. And part of the reason that I'm doing an Australian impression or accent today is because you guessed it. Our guest is from Australia. So I'll get to that in just a second. A couple quick things to update you on. First off, T-shirts are still for sale you got about a week left. If you want to support this podcast, if you want to support Shedding Light Outdoors and what we're doing, they're super soft, great t-shirts, good quality. Uh, You could get a long sleeve or a short sleeve, has our logo on it. Would love if you would support that. I'll drop the link below. Uh, Second thing, quick update on my hunting season. I like to update you as I go. So far, uh, not been a ton of action. Saturday, I went to public land. I went through some really thick stuff in the morning. I'd never been there. Finally got set up uh, off of a path on a ridge. Saw some squirrels, no deer. That was the end of that. Sunday night, I was able to take Corey out on his very first bow hunt, got set up. Uh, It was a little warm. It was in the 70s, and so we didn't see any action until last light. Saw some deer off in the distance. They didn't come in. And then right at last light, a huge, probably one of the biggest coyotes I've ever seen, stepped out at 15 yards. Corey came to full draw and there was a limb blocking his way. And so he had to let down. It was getting darker and darker. I couldn't see the coyote from my perspective, so I did the old you know, squeak thing on my hand, and that coyote ran right underneath our tree. <laughs> and we couldn't get a shot, but it was really cool. Uh, Shedding Light Outdoors has done very well. Travis Shire, my buddy, uh, went out with his longbow two nights ago, and he got a doe double lunger. She went 30 yards. He got great footage. And my brother videotaped my nephew shooting his very first deer, which happened to be an eight-point buck. And so that video will be coming out on YouTube here in the next couple weeks. So if you're not following Shedding Light Outdoors on YouTube, go over there, hit subscribe. We would love that. Check out some of our other content. And that's the update. Uh, So we're going to jump in today with our guest. Our guest is Tegan Wilson. She is from Australia, as we've already mentioned, and I have a great conversation with her. I mean, she does great. I was a little groggy because I woke up at 6 a.m. to talk to her, (laughs) and so I got a little bit better as the podcast went on because the coffee kicked in. But Tegan does a great job telling about how she got into hunting. Uh, She has kind of a unique background in that her mother's a vegetarian and her brothers don't really hunt, but her dad does. And so she talks about that, uh, talks about samber deer hunting, stag hunting, uh, hog deer hunting. If you have never heard of a hog deer, just look up Hog Deer Australia and you'll see what a hog deer is. It would be good for you to know because we talk about some of those hunts. And just um, Tegan has a, a real good heart and she wants to get people involved in hunting and in the outdoors. And so she's a part of some organizations that help people do that. And so we'll dive into that a little bit toward the end. So uh, I hope that you guys enjoy this one. I thought we'd do a little bit of a change of pace from talking about whitetails and we would get a different perspective. It's a really cool episode. Here is Tegan Wilson. All right, guys. I am happy to be on the line. It's, it's bright and early here in the United States. But happy to have Tegan Wilson on the line. Tegan, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Oh, it's it's great. It's good. It's beautiful. Well, I, I can't say it's beautiful. The sun's just barely starting to rise. But how's things there for you in Australia? Yeah, it's pretty well. It's pretty dark outside. It's about 8 o'clock here. So okay. I've got a full day of work already. 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I got your name, I believe, from uh, Daniel Mummery, who's been on the podcast, I think, at least twice, maybe three times now, actually. Um, and so he had recommended you. So thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do in uh, Australia. Maybe give us a little bit of an idea. Uh, those of us are, that are on this side of the pond, <laughs> where you are in Australia, and then tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, no problem. So I'm from the bottom of Australia. Well, not the very bottom, but the south, down south. I'm from a place in Victoria called Melbourne. Um, mm -hmm. Currently dealing with some pretty bad COVID restrictions, but that's all right. Uh, I am 19 years old. I have a few qualifications in the pharmaceutical industry, and I also work for the Sporting Shoes Association of Australia, where I teach the general public how to use firearms safely. Oh, very cool. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Um, just under a year now. Okay. Well, that's very cool. We'll, we'll, we'll jump into that. I want to kind of hear how you got into that type of thing. Um, so are you uh, taking classes or graduated? I, I missed that. No, so I've already got a few qualifications. They were done while I was doing the while I was doing my high school. Oh, great! Well, good for you. Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, we've I've talked with Danny a little bit. You guys obviously um, have a lot of restrictions in Australia, and I know that that's definitely been a damper on hunting and those kind of things. So I'm hoping that that'll lift soon for you guys, and you'll be able to get out. Were you able to get any hunting in uh, before you know COVID and all that? Yes, I've been pretty lucky this year. I got to get in about four hunts. Um, I've taken about three animals this year so far. So I filled the freezer for my family, which was oh, that's very great. good. Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, your family. What does your family do? Um, so my dad is a plumber. I've got two brothers, one older and one younger. They're not very into hunting. They like the idea of it, but not as much as I am. And then my mum is actually a vegetarian. Whoa. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. So Tegan, how did you get into hunting then? I always ask that question and that I, I I've got to ask you right now. <laughs> so with yeah. your mom being a vegetarian, your brother's <laughs> not into it. How did you get into this world of hunting? Yeah. So I've been camping since I can remember all my baby photos are out camping and everything like that. And hunting kind of started when I was about eight years old. It was very much a thing that my brothers got to do that I wanted to have a chance to do with my dad. So, mm. uh, yeah, obviously I wanted to go spend time with him and it just grew from there. Yeah. Oh, very cool. So tell, tell me about uh, your memories of like those first few hunts, those first few times going out. What was that like? Yeah. So one of my favorite hunts is actually one of the first ones I can remember. And I was about eight years old um, and it was snowing. So it was my first experience in the snow and it was absolutely freezing. Anyway, so uh, it was a weekend hunt. We left Friday and camped Friday night. Saturday morning came and we got ready to gear up. And obviously all the stuff my parents had brought for us kids to go hunting was fitted for my older brother so it was 10 sizes way too big for me so I remember putting these big gaiters on that were like the size of my legs this this jacket that touched the floor and it 
it wasn't very, very comfortable, but I didn't complain. And yeah. we set out into the Australian high, the Victorian high country. And if you're not sure what that's like, it's very steep, unforgiving, very thick in some places. And there's a lot of mine shafts. So oh, wow. dangerous. <laughs> and so we walked for what felt like forever, but I learned a lot of my fundamental um, hunting skills in those young years. So like what a wallow is, um, what a, a preach tree is, many things like that. Learned just from walking by my dad and like obviously how to track an animal, how to read sign, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And this one particular hunt, um, we hadn't seen anything. Uh, the weather was pretty, pretty horrible, but I didn't complain at all. And so we're nearing the end of the Saturday night and we were on our way back to camp. We had stopped for a break just before our last incline to get back to the car. And I turned to my dad and I looked at him and I said, what are the chances of seeing a deer? Uh, I was a little bit disheartened, but not really. I was very grateful for the weekend that we'd already had. And I still had another day of hunting in my eyes, but I just asked the question. And he turned to me and he said, there's about a 30% chance. He then said, it's getting dark. So this is when they start to come out and feed. So I thought to myself, 30% is better than nothing. So (laughs) and we would have walked for at least for not even 200 meters. And he signaled to me to to duck down. There's a deer, he said. And he pointed uh, to the other face, other face of the gully. And he pointed out this very young, young yearling. And uh, I got my my binos up and I was looking and I was all fascinated. And it was was an awesome experience. And he turned to me and he said, do you want me to shoot this one or do you want to wait for the stag? Because it was, we call them a fluffy face because they're still very young and they've got a lot of, um, their hair is very fluffy all around their face. And that normally indicates that there's another, either a stag or a mature hind around because they're too young to kind of fend for themselves at that age. I looked at him and I said, just shoot it. <laughs> I um, locked my ears and pulled it and he pulled the trigger and uh, I helped him carry that animal out, helped him gut it. We gave thanks to the animal and I carried it yeah. back up. And then, yeah, I fell in love with hunting ever since. Oh man, that's really cool. That's a cool story. I, I think yeah, what I love about talking to different people from different places is last night actually my 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 brother took my nephew out and uh, my nephew shot his very first deer and just them experiencing that father son you know father daughter being out in whether you're in the woods in a tree stand or whether you're in the bush country of australia being able to or victoria highlands you know being wherever you are there's just something cool about experiencing that first hunt with with your dad that's really neat. Yeah, it genuinely isn't it's yeah, it's something we still talk about to this day and like those words when I said, what are the chances? Like they'll stick with me forever. So yeah. yeah how, how did, T, I'm curious. Um, how did your dad, did your dad grow up hunting as well? Or is it something that he picked up later on in life? So my dad grew up in New Zealand, um, which I also grew up in a mixture of Australia and New Zealand. And to him, he grew up catching possums and shooting foxes to make a bit of money on the side. So he grew up around firearms, everything like that. Uh, his, his dad was a very competitive um, clay shooter. So he was introduced to firearms at a very young age. 
And then he moved to Australia to look for work and kind of didn't really know where to start, but knew he wanted to do to start samba deer hunting. And he kind of taught himself everything he knew, but it wasn't out of the blue. Like he'd understood how to like cape animals and gut them and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's a learning curve whenever it comes to that type of thing for sure. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> well, for for those listeners that I have that haven't, uh, especially the my U.S. listeners that haven't listened to the previous uh, Jamie Carl episode or any of Daniel's episodes, first off, you need to go back and do that. But can you give us a quick rundown um, about what uh, a sandbird deer is like? Um, maybe a little bit of a physical description. I um you know just kind of so these guys can picture it a little bit in their head what what are these animals that you're you're going after typically okay so typically a samba deer um they're in relation to an elk they're just a bit smaller um their antlers have six points sorry three on each side they've got a brow a main beam and a tine their antlers can get to about 30 inches is a is a prime animal um about 25 to 26 inches is a very nice representative of a samba deer they can weigh up to about 200 kilos depending and they're very the hair is very coarse on them they've got a very big mane and they're one of the hardest deers to hunt their ears actually have a full 180 degree turn hmm Sorry. So they can, I mean, so they can hear, they're hard to <laughs> sneak yeah, in on it, it sounds like. Most definitely, most definitely. Mm. And is that the main thing that you hunt or do you hunt, um, you know, I know uh, others hunt red stag and other things like that. Is there anything, is that kind of your primary uh, game that you're going after? So Samba deer is what I grew up hunting, but I've been very fortunate. I've actually ticked off four of the Austra- the six Australian deer. So I've shot. I've hunted fallow deer, hog deer, red deer, um, had a chance to hunt rooster and cheetle, but I haven't been successful on those yet. Mm, that's really cool. That, it's, I mean, United States, you have, you know, your white tail, you have mule deer, and then there are some others out in the southwest region that are um, different kinds of deer. So I, I, I'm just a white tail guy, so I'm pretty one-dimensional. So that's neat that you've had that opportunity. I, I want to hear some of those stories. So um how you know as you grew up you got into hunting more and more i'm very curious about how you got your first um uh samber deer or whatever it was that you got so tell me tell me that story how did you get your first um as you went out yeah so this one particular hunt i was uh i think i was 12 years old just just about to turn 13 so at the age of 12 when you can get your junior firearms license here in australia and I just got my junior firearms license, but it meant that I had to be with a fully licensed person, such as my dad. And we had backpack hunted for three days straight. So that meant we carried everything we wanted to take with us, for all of our water, all of our food, all of our tents, change of clothes, absolutely everything. And it's something that we had planned for a long time. We wanted to check out this new area, but we wanted to camp and then uh, hunt further out into where my dad hasn't really explored much. So 
this plan this trip and we walked, it would have been at least 15 Ks to our camp and it was steep. It was, um, it was not an easy walk. Anyway, uh, that's a long way. Yeah, it was a very long way. Um, we had this awesome hunt. We'd only seen one, um, one hind. Uh, didn't take the shot though. We were looking for a, a mature stag because our freezers were already full at this point in time. Anyway, so we actually walked back to the car empty-handed. Didn't see anything mm. at all. The, uh, a lot of things played into account, like the weather wasn't amazing. Uh, our wind choice for where we wanted to hunt wasn't particularly good um, as the wind changed halfway through the day, but those things you can't really control, so you just live to work with them. And then on our way back home, we, my dad had been talking to one of the local hound hunters and they had seen a very nice mature stag running around this one particular area which was on our way home so dad and I had kind of agreed that we were going to look at this place whether we were to just scope it out or actually hunt it for an afternoon we had intentions to go look at it or at least put a trail camera down there so we packed up got into got into camp and driven to this one particular place. I got out, I got my gun. Dad, Dad was like, no, I'll leave my gun in the car. So we had one rifle. We walked down this, uh, this very old, um, old mine, mining track. And it was very steep, but it was pretty cool because you could see all the, there's a big boil, uh, what would you call it? Well, I've had a mental blank. <laughs> <laughs> A big chimney for the um, mine shafts. Okay. I remember that because I was standing about 10 metres past it where I looked down into this gully and I see this stag and he's preaching up on a tree. So I don't know if whitetail preach, but do they? Uh, where they're jumping up on it? Or what, do you mean, what do you mean by preach? So Sambadi have this scent gland at the front of their eye and that's when they stand up on both of, on their two back legs and they rub that scent gland at the top of the tree, and that kind of indicates how big they are to the females. Oh wow! No, I don't. Um, so you'll see. Uh, sometimes you'll see. <laughs> my wife just saw. You'll see. Uh, as far as white tails go, they'll stand on their back hind legs and they'll fight each other. You'll see yeah. a big buck every once in a while to try and get a licking branch, but but oh. no, not um, the branches. Usually, I, I guess our our white tails are kind of lazy. They want a branch that's like right in front of their their yeah. head. You know, the, <laughs> so. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and I um, so I put put my rifle up to my shoulder, and I, I had a bit of buck fever, um, bit bit shaken up, but I kind of took a deep breath and one clean shot, and he was down. Oh and that was man! And it was probably one of the easiest carryouts I've done to date. It was um, we hadn't walked very far, which was very good. <laughs> Yeah, man, that is great. Uh, I I don't know what I'd do if I look. You're looking down as I picture this. You're looking down into some sort of big hole kind of thing, and there's this big animal up, you know, standing on its hind legs. That would be yeah. <laughs> intimidating, I would think. Yeah, it was it was definitely an image that is stuck in my head for sure. Mm, what was your dad's reaction? Oh, my dad just smiles all around, so proud. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I bet. 
Tegan, that's a really cool experience. And especially, it sounds like a lot of your hunting, at least early on, was with family, which is always good. And, um, you know, you get some of those good experiences. Now, now, your brothers, are they with you on any of these kind of trips, or is it just you and your dad? I, I miss that. Um, I've only ever done one hunting trip with my brother and myself okay. and my dad. And that was actually a hog deer hunt. So, hog deer, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what hog no. deer No. No, so hog deer are... Very, very small. They weigh up to about 40 kilos. Okay. They um, probably stand about waist height for me, and I'm five foot one. Okay. So very small. And um, their antlers don't grow very big. About 13 inches is a very, very good, good hog deer. And you can only hunt them in the month of April here in Australia. Okay. And we have a tag system. So they're the only... Um, only deer that have a tag system and you can only have one female and male, but anybody can get a tag as long as you have a game license. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. And so all of us had gotten all, all of our tags, my dad, my brother and myself. And there was this one opening, this one clearing that we wanted to hunt in the morning. And it was the first day we had set up that my brother was shooting on this kind of this corner and my dad and myself because I was still a junior so my dad had to be with me we were going to be um I would say about five or about 200 meters in front but we made a deal that anything in in between us is no man's land and so we got in very very early at like four o'clock in the morning and we just sat and wait and waited for the first light because that's so with hog deer hunting, everything we to do with salmon hunting, throw it out the window and it's completely different. So you normally hunt mm. hog deer like a tree stand or a sit and wait. Because if you start walking around in the bush, they're too small. They'll scent you and hear you too fast. So you waste your time. Okay. Um, and so this particular morning we were waiting. A whole lot of kangaroos come through first and then the deer come through and my brother was lucky enough to actually shoot his first deer and it was a hog deer. Oh, wow. And, that's really, yeah, I, love, so, I love the beginning that he had a bunch of kangaroos come through first. That's just, I, I, it seems like uh, kangaroos are uh, equal to like the turkey of <laughs> the United yeah. States. Like just a whole flock of them go by. Uh, okay, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes awesome. they can, yeah. Sometimes they can play to your disadvantage. Sometimes if there's a, there's a mob of kangaroos and they spook you, they ruin your chances yeah. of seeing any deer, but that's hunting. A mob. I like that too. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, this hog deer, I just actually, I, I looked, I had to look it up because I'm like, what is a hog deer? And I, I, I think I have actually seen pictures of these. They're really interesting and very sh- kind of short in stature. And that, that's, yeah. I, I just love being able to try and uh, that's part of the reason I enjoy elk hunting is because it challenges me as a whitetail hunter because you can yeah. basically, my first year that I went elk hunting, in fact, last night I was giving a guy some advice um, <laughs> that was going on his first elk trip in rifle season. And I, I said, do not, if you're used to whitetail hunting, do not treat it the same way. It is, you know, my first year I was trying to tiptoe around and be very, very stealthy because that's what you do with whitetail. And with elk, you got to find them first. You got to cover a lot of ground and you can be loud kicking rocks. So that's what I love about it is that it's kind of helped me 
you know, it makes me more versatile as a hunter, learning a couple of different species and, and um, you know, you, you learn different animals. So that's neat that, I mean, the hog deer kind of, uh, it, it requires a different skill set, I guess you might say. Yeah, most definitely. And it's awesome. I love it. Hog deer hunting is very addictive, especially because you can only hunt it one month a year. Like you spend so long anticipating the hunt and planning it that it gets really exciting when it happens. Yeah. It, now, why why just one month a year? Are they regulating, um, you um, know, just not as pop? Do they not have a great population or what's what's that about? We don't have a great population. And, yeah, so it's mainly to um, control the numbers or keep the numbers. Uh, we do have an island called Sunday Island, which is an island devoted to hog deer. So, hmm. every, like, every member of that island has shares in that island and they maintain one of the biggest herds of hog deer I believe I don't quote me on that one but mm-hmm. yeah it's actually awesome I was lucky enough to go there as a junior and shoot on their island they had a junior ballot that they did and I was lucky enough to get drawn oh very cool well, Tegan, it sounds like you've had a lot of really neat um, hunting opportunities and experiences. And so um, you shoot your first uh, deer there at 12 and then now you're 19. So what are, I just, um, I'll just throw it over to you. What are some of your favorite uh, hunting experiences that you've, you've been able to have? So uh, whether it be, you know, a different species, another sandbar, what's, what kind of rises to the top of some of your um, top uh, hunts? So some of my most memorable hunts are hunts where I haven't even like taken a deer. Uh, so there's a club that I am a part of, quite heavily a part of, and through that I've met members who also share a passion in hunting. And my dad and myself were lucky enough to be invited to go hunt in South Australia for one week every year, so far every year. And we hunt fellow deer, right? And it's mm-hmm. with this older gentleman who's about 70 years old and he's a very, very experienced hunter himself. Uh, so we go there every year we have for the past three years. And once again, it's very different hunting. It's covering a lot more ground than you would for a samba deer. It's more open country. Uh, you spot the deer and you make a stalk, whereas samba deer is more... It happens in the in the in the time that it happens. <laughs> and one of one of my most memorable hunts. His name is Jerry. With Jerry is um, we were sitting down ready to glass this uh, swamp for the evening. And this hunt is normally where we take a lot of our meat animals because it's really good to easy to recover the full animal and get the most out of the meat. Anyway, we're, so we're sitting there just glassing and. As we were glassing, we saw this spiky, a hind, and a very young, young one. And we just sat there with the binos, and they would have been about 150 metres away from us. We just sat there and watched them, and it was absolutely awesome to see the, the young yearling just jumping around in the paddocks and running up to mum and running up to dad and just having an absolute blast. Yeah. And then sitting there and actually watching how they reacted to certain birds and how they reacted to the kangaroos that came in it was a very, it was a great opportunity to, to um, see and learn yeah. and sitting there cracking jokes with Jerry. It's just, yeah, memory I'll always remember. <laughs> 
I, I love that. I think um, some of those hunts, I, I think it, I've said this before. I think we get so wrapped up, you know, and just that killing something or a, a successful hunt sometimes to us is like, I, I, Oh, I came home empty handed, but really you didn't. You came home with some memories that you're, you're able to tell years later, anytime that you see wildlife of any kind and you're outside, I just think that's a win-win. It's, it's fun. So that's, I'm glad that that's one of your favorite hunts. That's really neat. That's definitely, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Mm. So I know I, I've uh, tell us real quick if guys are if it's okay uh, your Instagram. I've I've actually been on your Instagram and I know that you had uh, some other encounters as well with maybe some uh, unique animals. So what's what is your Instagram, Tegan? So my Instagram is Tegan underscore hunting underscore adventures. Okay. So yeah. if guys want to uh, check that out, you know, they can maybe see some of these things, but uh, you know, any others that, uh, you know, as I looked down through, I, I saw some uh, big deer, some different types of things. So any of those stand out to you? Um, I'm not too sure. I haven't looked at my Instagram for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just ask this. We'll go back to what is your, some of your favorite hunts, any of the other hunts that just kind of jump out. It doesn't have to be on your Instagram. I just noticed I saw some of those. I figured they might be. Yeah, um, so another really, uh, really memorable hunt to me would be my second Samba stag that I shot. It was actually almost a year ago today, and mm. I was hunting with a mate of mine. Uh, we had planned a four-day backpack hunt, and so we set off for this hunt, left very, very early in the morning, and covering some area that I've never been to before. So it was all very new to me. Anyway, we backpacked in and it was very, very steep. The bushfires had been through there, I'd say about six months earlier. So the ground below us was very unsteady and getting your footing with weight on your back was very hard, very tricky. Like my legs were shaking, not so much from the weight, but more from they didn't know the sort of what, what I was doing, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Anyway, so we had backpacked in, uh, got to camp, had a look at where we were going to hunt for the hunt for the evenings. It was more going to be a sit in glass, find the animal, and then make a stalk. Mm -hmm. So we hadn't had any luck that night. Uh, I went to sleep and got up early the next morning, and in the morning. Didn't really see much until we were heading back to camp and uh, my mate found a very nice stag on the opposite face. So we get into a better position and we get the um, spotting scope out and we have a look at him. He's about 400 metres away from us. Uh, we kind of sat down, looked at our op options and I looked at whether I'd be confident shooting that sort of distance. So I'm confident in shooting long distance as long as I'm comfortable, like in a comfortable position where I know I can take an ethical shot. Yeah. Anyway, for this particular animal, I couldn't get into a comfortable position. It was almost going to be like laying down, like a vertical shot. It was just a very, very awkward position. So we looked at mm -hmm. whether it would be more beneficial to cross over and get onto his face and then get above him or whether we move up higher on our hill, but then we increase the distance. So we looked at all of our options and getting onto his face, like his face of the gully wasn't going to work because the river at the bottom was too deep 
and getting across there quietly wasn't going to work. So addressed everything and I said, I don't want to take the shot. I said, I'd rather just watch him and that's hunting because to me, if I couldn't take an ethical shot and be confident in it, I don't want to take that shot. One thing mm, I've good for you. been brought up with was being an ethical hunter. Mm. But, so the story doesn't end there. So we packed back, we packed up and we actually decided we're going to hunt somewhere else. So we packed up and headed to another place, uh, set up camp and hunted that evening. Didn't see much. And then the next morning, got up bright and early and walked some beautiful country. Anyway, we got over, to, got over this ridge and we spot a stag. And this area, my mate has had cloud cameras up there for quite a while. So he kind of knew this stag was floating around and where he kind of was. Anyway, we spot this stag and we look at what way he's feeding. Because he's feeding, but he's feeding very fast. So we look at where we need to be to make an ambush. So we walk along to this group of trees where we predict where we're going to cross and have a good have a good shooting line. Excuse me. And we get to that group of trees, and at this point in time, we've lost sight of him. We know that he's about within a fifty kilometer, a fifty meter radius of us, but not quite sure where. Anyway, so I kind of look at where I want to be, and I start making my way there, like super quiet, and then. Something happened and I hated myself for it. The only stick, the only stick in sight, I stand on and I break it. <laughs> oh, no. That sounds like something I would do. That sounds like something I would do. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was all over. But what I didn't know was, well, I knew that so this was late September for them. So this is mainly when they go into their rut. So they're looking for a female, obviously. And so that stick actually brought him closer. Mm, wow. He's interested in the sound. He hadn't scented us, hadn't heard us, anything like that. Anyway, so I continued to make my way to the spot where I wanted to be. And I'm sitting there and I, my, um, my safety's off. And I'm loaded. And exactly as I pictured it in my head, he walks out broadside, 15 metres away from me. Oh, man. I take the shot and he's down. And it was just, it was crazy to think that exactly how I pictured it, it happened. And yeah, so that oh, was wow. my second So it's almost as if you were rewarded, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, you yeah. were rewarded for not taking the long shot and you ended up with a 15 meter shot. That's really cool. Yeah. It was an awesome hunt for sure. Is this the one now, the, I, what I do remember there was, and it might not have been this particular uh, hunt, but I do remember you on the phone with your, I believe it was yeah. your dad, and he said something about it's not as big as his or something like that. Yeah, that's, that's, that. <laughs> that's that stag. So I, I woke my dad up and I had to call him and just let him know. And because I'd sent him just a photo of, of an antler, hadn't showed him anything else, and he's calling me and he's like, What's happening? And, and then my mom's in the background, and my mom's like, your dad's dag's bigger than yours. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "That's really uh, I've uh, been times where I've been out hunting and I've sent a photo home, and my mom's replied, "Leave some deer for the wildlife," or just <laughs> like that. Oh, uh, that's good. So now your mom being vegetarian and now is your mom, she's, a, is she 
sounds like she's okay with hunting, but it's just not something that she just doesn't want to eat meat herself, right? So she's um, she's actually Buddhist. She's okay. not against hunting. She's understands why we do it. She's thankful that we can put food on the table and she knows where it's coming from as well as mm. she understands that the circle of life, everything happens for a reason. Like everything's brought on this earth for a reason. Mm. So he, she understands that. She doesn't particularly like cooking it, but she will. Um, she does wear these gloves so she doesn't have to touch the raw meat, which I find pretty funny. <laughs> and uh, she has one rule with my dad. So every time my dad brings something hunting related home, she gets to buy something like a candle or a Buddha for the house. So it kind of like balances it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. That's uh, yeah. the last episode I, I had my wife on. Um, and <laughs> we talked about that a little bit about how uh, my wife feels okay buying things. Cause she knows that most likely I have something in the mail coming from for hunting. Yeah. So yes, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's universal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's very. Oh. I say she's very supportive, especially with my shooting and everything like that. She's always very, been very supportive, so I'm very thankful for that. Ah, uh, good, good deal. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, and I I know of other people that have, um, uh, you know, similar situations where you know within their family, like there's big hunters, and then there's those that just for whatever reason they don't do it or they don't want to, or they choose to be vegan or vegetarian. And, and I, I think it's neat to kind of see that families can still get along still. Um, <laughs> you can have differences in opinion and still actually be a family, which is good, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, Tegan, I think we've got time for uh, maybe one or two more of just kind of your favorites. So anything else kind of rise to the top as we, we close her down here? in particularly um, okay <laughs> well, that's good well let me ask you this then um I, you had mentioned uh, being a part of i think a magazine or uh, outdoor group um and then uh, you talk about hunter safety so talk about how you got into that and, and kind of what your role is in that yeah okay so uh in australia we have an organization called wsaa stands for the sporting shooters association of australia so we're a body where we uh, support all hunters. Okay. And from that club, we've got um, subclubs. So we've got a deer stalkers club. We've got a field and game club. We've got a big rifle club. We've got a pistol club, everything like that. And when I was 14 years old, my dad brought me along to one of the deer stalkers club meetings. And it just happened to be the AGM, so the annual general meeting. And they were looking for an editor for their magazine. And I was just sitting there listening to the meeting. Didn't really have any relevance to me. And my dad put my hand up. <laughs> so that was a bit unexpected. But I'm very, I look back and I'm very grateful. Because being part of that club has helped me grow very much as a hunter. So I still currently edit that magazine. But then in 2018, I was voted in to be vice president of their club. Which was an absolute honour. And I still currently hold that position where oh, we wow. kind of, we're not for profit. We have free hunter education and we pretty much just encourage anybody who is new to hunting or has hunting experiences to come along and just share with people who have common interests. And to mm. me, it's been done wonders for me. Helped me with so many opportunities and 
helped me grow as a person and become a mature person as well. Yeah. And then from going to those meetings, I, they held at our local gun range. And I obviously was polite to the staff that worked there, said hello. And then one meeting, I was talking to one of the range officers, the manager actually, and I didn't even know. And we got to talking about life and everything like that. And she offered me a job. So I was all eager to join this as who wouldn't want to work with guns every day. <laughs> so started that job and yeah, it's awesome. I get to teach the general public firearm safety and watch them go from somebody who doesn't even know what a gun is to leaving with the target that's got 10 bullseyes on it. It's pretty awesome. Oh man, that has to be extremely rewarding. I, I, I think, um, there's some people that have kind of like that knack. I enjoy trying to teach people, you know, about hunting, getting people into hunting or into shooting or those kind of things. And then to see them kind of grow is that, is, that has to be a very rewarding job to be able to be a part of that. Most definitely. There's been so many um, times where um, like a couple will come in. So you've got the male and you've got the female and she's all intimidated. She's a bit scared, doesn't know what's going to happen. And so we do a safety briefing and, I let her know that it's okay. They're only shooting 22, 22 long arms. Okay. And they're like down prone. But they normally turn to me and say, is it going to hurt me? So I, I sit there and I, I explain it to them. I explain to them what the gun is, what happens, and essentially what you want to look for and help them do it comfortably. But you know, let them know that they're not alone. And mm -hmm. it turns out that the females end up out shooting the, the males nine times out of ten because they've got more patience. <laughs> smiles from ear to ear it, yeah it's it's definitely very rewarding mm, that's very cool how do you how do people find out about um you know your program there how do like i guess i'm curious is how does somebody you know it, it seems like uh, melbourne for what i know is a pretty populated area it seems like you guys where you're located is more um you know uh more urban type setting. So how, how do people even find out about this and get involved in it? Um, so, so we do have a social media page. So at the club, the Deer Stalkers Club has an Instagram and a Facebook page okay. where we can be found by there. But a lot of our members are like word of mouth sort of. We have these um, shot expos every year where it's like a big expo for all hunting, everything like that. We get a lot of members from that. But, yeah, it's kind of – that's yeah. where we get the majority of our membership. But we do have, yeah, online as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think that's, that's neat. I, and it doesn't matter where you're at. I think teaching people the safety aspect, I think that's what a lot of people sometimes just have in their head, like this picture of hunting, like these uh, – uh, at least here in the United States, people picture rednecks drinking beer, going out and just shooting anything and everything and injuring animals. And it's like, that's, that's, that's really actually, I don't think the case very often that does happen. Sometimes, unfortunately, there are those unethical hunters. Um, but, you know, I think if people could learn, Hey, this is not, that's not the norm at all. This is most hunters that I know are doing their best to try and take a good shot. They're doing their best to be safe and there's a safe way to do it. Um, you know, I think, I think that's sometimes a misconception people have. And so whenever they learn, it's, it's kind of refreshing. Yeah, definitely. Most people, I talk to some people and they go, there's deer in Australia. They've got no idea. They think it's some <laughs> mythical thing. And yeah, I think it's a lot of people are uneducated and very stereo. They have, they have a stereotype in their head. 
but it's not actually all that true. And unfortunately, social media, like certain types of social media, portray us Australian hunters to not be good people, which is quite sad, actually. Yeah. Well, good for you for changing that, for teaching some folks, uh, you know, how to be safe, how to shoot, how to do those things. And uh, it's very cool that you get that role, you know, uh, with the Deer Stalkers Association, being able to be a part of that. So um, that's, that's exciting, especially, you know, being 19 and kind of having those experiences already. It sounds like you've had a lot of fun hunting and being outdoors as, uh, you know, as a young person already. Most definitely. And I can't wait for the future. I've got many goals and everything that I want to achieve. So yeah. <laughs> well, Tegan, I really appreciate you coming on uh, the show today and, and sharing some of your favorite experiences. I enjoyed those really cool stories and I uh, wish you well. I hope that the, uh, the COVID restrictions will kind of ease up there in Australia so that you can get back out there and, and uh, have some more memories. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. It's been an absolute honor to have a chat with you and yeah, thank you. Man, guys, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed hearing Tegan's stories, hearing her perspective. I love the fact that she is now just being able to find a career, even in the outdoors, doing editing and also doing the uh, hunter or the rifle education and safety. That's so important, and I'm, I'm grateful for her time coming on. And I tell you what, I really like the Australian accent. I think it's so neat that we live on the same planet, yet we can be so different in the way that we talk, even in the United States. I, I know I, I call my cousin Lane down in Louisiana, and a conversation should be something like, hey, Lane, how's it going? Go, oh, doing pretty good there, bud. How you doing up there, man? Everything going all right? Tell you what, I shot a deer last week. It went 20 yards and dropped on the spot. You know, I like, I, I love, <laughs> there you go. I love trying to do different accents. Sometimes I'm halfway decent at them or not. But it's just fun trying to imitate somebody, isn't it? Like trying to figure out how do they talk? How is that coming out of their mouth? And I think about a verse that pops in my head. I got one quick one for you today, and we'll, we'll close it down. Ephesians 5.1, it says, be imitators of God. Mm, pretty simple, right? But it's hard to do. Like, whenever I'm trying to imitate somebody, I'm trying to catch those nuances. I'm trying to catch not only what are they saying, but how they're saying it. And if we're going to be imitators of God, it's we're trying to understand what would God do? How is how is God going to react to the situation? Who is God? And that's what it means to be an imitator. Like my little daughter trying to figure out and be like her mom, that's how we are to be with God. We're to be imitators of him. So just something for you to consider. Are your actions uh, an imitation of God or something else? So uh, I hope that that's helpful for you. Once again, I appreciate you guys coming back, listening to uh, another episode. Hope that you come back next week. Next week's going to be a great episode. I've already got it lined up. Going to be one that you definitely need to listen to. So that's all I'm going to say. Hope that you guys have a fantastic week. Safe hunting. And remember to shed the light.